This is Vixen John, creator of Minute Made New York, and you're listening to Minutes Heard. On this episode of Minutes Heard, we're taking a look inside Brick Arts Media, located downtown Brooklyn, New York, which has become a second home to me. It's the place where I've met some of the most creative people who I am cool with to this day, and it's also where Minute Made New York was born. These amazing people I had the honor of working alongside represent what it means to be a creative in my eyes. So sit back and take a listen. What in life motivates you to wake up every day and to make the best of it? Um, there are people who can't wake up, you know, due to, due to uh, life choices, uh, bad health or whatever the case may be. You know, um, so in uh, in inspiration of, of them, you know, where they fell short that I try to, you know, I try to make sure that I can accomplish everything that I set out to do the day before. You know, if I'm giving breath, you know, the next day I'll get up and I'll try to make the best of it. Um, what are you passionate about in your life? Information and the lack thereof. There are people, there's, since the internet, information is free. Everybody can know anything at any point in the day. All you gotta do is get online. And you know, people just don't choose to do that. And this is somebody walking in and you know, hey, what's going on, brother? Peace. <laughs> it's just Leslie. Um, and the kids, you know, um, our future is, is, is the children. And, and if they're not properly educated, if they don't know what they need to know about the world they're living in, you know, unfortunately, it's going to devour them. And the world don't play fair. So I just try to, you know, inform people or children, the kids, the babies, as much as I can, about as much as I can. In respect of the world, in front of you, based on what you see in here. I'll skip that question. <laughs> yeah, we'll be here for. I don't think this got enough battery space, but yeah. <laughs> Is there an item on you that has any sentiment you value? Sentiment value. Um, a George Spirit memory. All right, all right. Just the change. Huh? That's more. That's for somebody. All right, cool. Name one of the happiest, saddest moments in your life. It's Monday. Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is also, yeah. I mean, something a little deeper than than expected, but. What is your current occupation? All right, my current occupation. Occupation. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a thousand hats, and I try to uh, be the best of whatever I am at the moment as I can be. Sometimes I'm a photographer. Sometimes I'm a, a graphic designer. Sometimes I'm a video editor. Uh, sometimes I'm a gaff man, sometimes I'm the tape man, sometimes I'm the, the water boy, you know, so whatever it is that I have to do at the moment, I have to do it with the best of my ability because I would want someone to do the same for me if requested. The reason I am as successful as I am is because I have the understanding that every second invested in information and acquiring knowledge is a, is a dollar invested in your dream. The more you study, the harder you grind, the better you will be. In the circle of the people who I'm surrounded around, uh, a lot of times I shine more than they do is because I don't chill, I don't relax. I grind and I grind and I hustle and I hustle and I grind and I grind. And, you know, as, you know, life, represent, life presents itself, I've been in a situation where these things have paid off for me drastically. And... It's just it is what it is. So when you see me and I, I'm not smiling and I'm down or whatever, whatever, don't don't think this is sadness. I'm thinking of my next move, and that's just what it is. 
So what in your life motivates you to wake up every day and make the best of it? What motivates me to wake up every day? Basically, I would say life motivates me. Um, I've lost a lot of people in my life in the last couple of years, which just makes me appreciate life in a different way because we really don't know our time here. Uh, one of my passions has always been television and women have always been my passion being a woman. I am will consider myself a champion of women because women go through a lot of things that sometimes are not talked about. So I decided to create a platform where the everyday woman can come and, and talk about her issues in an environment when she, where she isn't judged and where she could just basically be herself. We all need that mentor in our lives, um, big sister, mother, auntie, and I wanted to create something where young girls can look onto us as mentors and somewhat be a big sister that I never had. Uh, this, my show, The Ladies of Madison Avenue, motivates me um, in, in ways that I've never dreamt of before because it's my true passion. I, I feel like it's my calling. I feel like I'm here to do something more than just just be. I feel like I'm here to, to teach, to inspire, to heal all the things that um, I may have needed help with but wasn't able to get. I feel that my show is goes to that extreme where we can help other people. Uh, the bottom line of what I do is just that I want to have a voice uh, in this world. I want to be someone that people remember, and I want to leave a mark. Uh, television, writing, poetry, anything creative motivates me. Uh, life itself, like I said before, motivates me because we have to make the best of every single moment that we have. Uh, media is a perfect way to get your voice out there, and there's all types of media. But one thing that I love about what I do is that I'm able to touch people. Even if it's one person that I touched, I'm happy because that's all it takes is one person, and then they can touch another, and then they can touch another. Um, one thing Obama said that really struck a chord with me, he said, when women do well in the world, we all do well in the world. I resonate with that because women are healers, they're nurturers, and we really are the ones who are the stronghold or, or the backbone of, of creators of life, if I should say. And if we're not well, then trust nothing else is well. You know, the woman needs, you know, everyone needs, uh, men and women need each other. And we keep the family going and we just have to be okay. So one of my things um, for, for my show is that I just would like women to be okay. There's a lot of women who uh, go through a lot of traumatic events in their lives from, from rape to incest to molestation um, and, and just countless things, abuse. So my, my aim is to just touch and help as many women as I can. And if, if I want to say what motivates me is just like the will and the drive to do what I have to do in this world to make it a better place. Yes, so yeah. uh, reiterating your question because I completely forgot. Um, yeah, what, what inspires and motivates your 
line of work these days? Um, I think like at some point when I was younger, I like realized that this uh, form of like media or expression can like this sounds canned as fuck. I'm terrible at interviews now. No, it's fine. I get it. You're used um, to being behind the camera. Just not even yeah. the camera. It's just like exactly. Sh- it's just talking, shooting the wind. Um, Probably I'm intimidating you by my look. <laughs> Probably that's it. Just like piercing <laughs> to your soul. No, it's all good. Um, yeah, I don't know if I realized it when I was younger, when I started, or what. But like, I always had this kind of um, viewpoint that I needed to amplify voices and um, give people outlets to be heard and um, I picked up a camera and somewhere along the way I realized that that tool is um, a great outlet for that and so I started using it for that Um, I found Brick which is a great company for like that matches my mission um, yeah, I don't know. No, it's fine. Don't force it. Because when, okay. when you force it, then it's going to get too, yeah. too lollipoppy. Um, I don't know if I want to talk about brick. No, you don't have to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't. No, it's fine. I'm going to chop it up anyway. Um, so, in the sense of storytelling visually, um, what is, like, what do you look for when telling a story visually? Like, where, like, the the pinpoints, like, I have to accomplish this or I have to get this because this tells a story in a different way or uniquely. Well, I have... Um, I think that all art is, like, an articulation of focus. And so when you have a video camera or a stills camera even, like, you're able to zoom in and really show something. As like, Stanley Kubrick said that the size of something in the frame equals the importance of that thing in the story. And, uh, I mean, I think that applies not just to video and, and photography, but to art in general. Like, all you're doing is, is articulating the focus of the viewer um, to turn to this one thing. So in the arc of a story, um, if there's tension building, you know, I show somebody, like, standing idly by a phone and then the phone rings, you know, but you're showing the phone probably pretty large in that frame and the person maybe out of focus in the background and then you see this like moment where it comes together or you know, movement, you use movement to tell the story I think that um, any kind of way that you you adjust the view is, is what makes the the art. Remember, don't force it. I felt like yeah. I felt like you were trying to force another word. It's just like it's okay, <laughs> it's alright. Yeah. Um, let's see. But yeah, I think that's what I think. I guess like just in general, like in when I'm acting or anything, like it's all about articulation of focus. So when you're acting, you know, maybe it's gestural, like this this character uses this gesture over and over, and that causes them to think a certain way, even, and that's how humanity is, like if somebody walks around and they're always like scratching their nose or they're clicking you know a pen like that changes the way you hear the world if you're clicking a pen all the time 
And then if I'm telling a story visually with a camera about a person who, you know, is paranoid or something, and you have this actor doing this gestural work of clicking the pen, you know, you're going to show that in a close-up, or you're going to see that in some way, you're going to hear that with the, with the sound of, um, with the Foley sound or whatever, um, and it, that's all, I think, like, it's just a culmination of two hours of that type of, like, detailed focus that ends up giving you a story arc. Okay, speaking of story, just inspired another question. All right, let's make believe. You have, you have all the budget, all the resources, all the monies, all the people. What story would you tell? Nonfiction, fiction, what would be, like, this is what I had in my brain festering for years, and if I had God amount of budget, this is the story. This is, like, my life work story that I want to tell. <laughs> it could be documentary, movie, short. It could be just like this is this piece defines me, Chris Raditz. Hashtag no pressure. <laughs> I mean, I think at this point in my life, if I were to have like unlimited budget, um, there's a very specific story about. I don't know if I want to like go into a very specific story. Um, <laughs> there's a. If I had unlimited budget right now, like where I am in my life, I would want to tell something that's magical um, and American. I think that like growing up here and and um, kind of experiencing life in America it makes you like you're raised to be proud of that, regardless of the many fallacies of this country. Um, there's something in the American psyche that like affects your worldview. And I think that I would want to go back to this sort of... I was born in Frostburg, Maryland, which is in the mountains of Maryland, like in the Appalachian Mountains. And I have a lot of family like around there in West Virginia and different places. And um, so for me, like that area is very magical. I kind of am talking in circles. But I think like that area specifically in the mountains and like this sort of like backwoods culture in America has some sense of magic to it still and wonder and I think that I mean if I were to able to if I were able to pull a budget together now like I would go back to my roots and really like find the magic in that and embrace music and and just the forest and that sense of adventure that I had when I was young and try to explore stories about family and the potentials of kindness, I think, that children have. That's all, like, kind of wrapped up into different things. So when I was a kid, like, my family split up. Like, uh, my grand, all my grandparents are passed away. Um, my grandmother passed away in Frostburg, where I'm from, and there is this sort of like family split about the house that we lived in. Um, and I think a lot changed for me. Like when that happened, um, I realized a, that like my parents specifically of like all my cousins and everything had sheltered me a lot from some of the familial problems that we were having. 
that they were having specifically um, with other relatives. And I think that, you know, money becomes this huge issue when people pass away and property. And so because of these issues and a variety of other things, um, you know, involving anything from like drugs to just like people being assholes, um, my family split up uh, as far as like relatives. My parents are together, but um, like that side of my family just doesn't speak to each other anymore. And so specifically, that's a story that I'm really interested in exploring from a child's point of view, because there is this missed connection and this yearning to fix something that you had nothing to do with. Um, I don't know if that talks about, like, budget or anything. No. But that's a story that I'm interested in right now, is just, like, exploring the rifts that occur in families and exploring it from a perspective that maybe is missing some of the information but still trying to help in terms of like ideal budget like I don't actually think that I'm ready for unlimited budget that's what I'm trying to say oh like I don't think that I'm ready for unlimited budget I think that if I had an unlimited budget I would just like take the time to develop my skills and develop the story that I want to tell because I am it's I feel like I'm just like on the edge of whatever greatness is inside of me and it's like I just got to push it but I don't have time and I don't have money like that's what I feel like I am constantly like and I think it's a lot to do with like debt like I think that like that like school debt and like credit card debt for moving to the city with not enough money like it it gets in your way like it like holds you back um and i think that like it's a big it's a big hindrance so if i were able to take an an unlimited budget right now i would like pay off my debt and i would go to like the country and like sit down with a pen and paper and like write the idea and then i mean i don't necessarily think i need more practice like behind the camera i think that um my experience has afforded me a lot of practice but I just need time to like really develop that because I have impulses and I have ideas, but it's just not fully there, fully formed. Um, and I think there's something worth that time. What I usually ask, the first question is, what is your motivation to get up every day and make the best of it, to go out there and do what you do? Yeah, that's a big question. What is my motivation every day to get up? Wow. Um, My motivation for getting up every day and doing main moves and working on main moves is that I want to inspire women. I want to encourage women to love themselves. Um, For a long time, I didn't even know that I was the person that I'm speaking to now. I was just walking through life thinking that I was fine until I asked myself this question when I saw Lauren Hill, um, you know, being her fabulous self, five-time Grammy <laughs> award-winning artist. She's natural. She's, she's talented, she's beautiful, she's smart, and she's natural. 
is that possible for me? And it was just that one question that sparked everything. And so I've been approached by countless women um, when I went through my natural hair care journey, when I decided to go natural, which was not an easy decision for me to make. Um, but I realized that the, you know, me questioning myself meant that there was something deeper there and that there was something deeper that I needed to explore because there was something about myself that I didn't accept. I didn't accept my hair as being beautiful the way that it was. I thought that, you know, my hair being straight meant it was beautiful. That if my hair was long, it was beautiful. And if it wasn't those things, then it wasn't beautiful, that I wasn't beautiful. And so I knew that I didn't want to believe that um, I knew that that wasn't something that I was born thinking. And so me realizing that, I thought to myself, well, if I think this, I wonder how many other people think the same thing. And it was apparent to me that, you know, I wasn't the only one. And so I asked a lot of women that were in my circle, um, you know, the same question, would you ever go natural? And it was such a it was such a big deal to them. They questioned why I would ever want to do that. Why would I ever want to look like that? You know, um, <clears throat> and it hurt. You know, it hurt because it felt like something was inherently wrong with the way that we were. And that we bought into it. And I think that, you know, if someone's saying something bad about you, you know, you could brush that off. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when it resonates inside of you, it means that you're thinking the same thing about yourself. And I didn't want to accept that. I wanted to love me unconditionally. And I want women to love themselves unconditionally, especially black women. Um, and so... As a media professional, someone who understands the power of media, I knew that creating I knew that creating content that showed us in our natural beauty um, would be powerful. And so that's really what motivates me, you know, thinking about the little girls who see, you know, who watch television, who look at magazines, now, you know, who look on the internet, um, and how important it is for them to see people that look like them, um, to see women, to see other young girls that look like them who are embracing their hair, the hair that we've been told is a problem, the hair that we've been told isn't pretty enough the hair that we've been told we need to do something about, we should change it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it is. Like, I really want women to accept, and not just accept, I want women to embrace themselves and to love themselves just the way that they are and not to question why they look this way. Um, if you think about it, no one has hair like us. And 
the more rare a jewel or a diamond is, the more valuable. But we don't think about ourselves that way. There's no one with hair like us. There's no one with skin like us, the complexions like us. But yet, we question ourselves. We believe that there's something wrong because the dominant standard of beauty doesn't look like us. But I challenge that. Um, and so, I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> I was going somewhere. Let me bring it back. Um, the young girls. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do this. I do this for them. I do this for all the young girls because I know that I was a young girl when I saw someone who looked like me or who looked like somebody that I thought looked like me. Like, you know what I mean? And the possibilities, and, and oh, here it is, here's all I want to say. So when you think about the power of media and the power of celebrity, a lot of people who have made it have, have seen other examples of themselves too, and it helped them know that it was possible. So I know, like I've studied media in school, that's what I went to school for, I studied this. And so I know that what you point the camera at is what comes across as the most important. And whatever you're not showing doesn't really exist. And so for a long time, women of color weren't shown in a light that was beautiful or desirable. Um, and so that affected the way that we see we saw ourselves. Um, and so being in media and creating images and creating content is important. It's a revolutionary act, I think. At least I approach it that way. Question number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. No, it's, hey, the more the better. You know, I, content. Mm-hmm. No, no, go on. No, no, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember what I wanted to say. I definitely wanted to talk about. I, I talked about the power of media and seeing people that look like us represent. I think that's yeah. I think I said it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it comes to me later, I'll, I'll jump in. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, I'm gonna ask like two more questions. Yeah. Uh, name like one defining moment or like one pivotal moment in your journey, personally or when it comes to realm that you're in Mm -hmm. that kind of changed you for the better or the worse in the sense of Mm. like a turning point Mm -hmm. something that made you realize I'm doing this for a reason or you know there's more work to do hmm my goodness one well just one off the top of your your head that memorable that you could recall hmm okay it could be recent it could be you know Whenever, but I mean, hmm. Let me think about this one. Hold on, because there's 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 a few. Um. Hmm. You can pause it for a second. I didn't think about this. Especially that deep. I was just gonna ask you, what's your favorite color or something? <laughs> <laughs> so talk about the moment where you went natural. Hmm. So I went natural in college and Lauren Hill was huge at the time. And it just started with a question. 
because I saw that she was everything. She was everything to me at the time, and she was very popular, and she was so smart, um, so intelligent, so poised, talented, everything. And and she was on top of the world at the time. And I don't know what made me ask this question, but I just realized, it just came to me that she had natural hair. I don't know if anybody else, you know, I mean, yeah, at the time that was 1998. There weren't a lot of people who were natural. I didn't know anybody who was natural. <laughs> there was no one natural in my family. I never thought about it. That wasn't even a term going natural I just realized that she didn't relax you know she wasn't relaxed her hair was the way it grew out of her head I, I recognize it because you know I had the same hair when I was a little girl I know that I was chemically processing my hair to change it um but the thought of me not relaxing my hair gave me such anxiety and it, I just it just had me spiral into so many questions about is this possible for me? Like natural hair, it can't be. I don't, that's good for her. I don't think that's gonna work for me. Um, but once I started to think about why I was questioning it so much, I realized that I too was buying into this idea that something was inherently wrong with my beauty, with our beauty. And I didn't want to accept that. It made me angry. <laughs> it made me angry because I, I felt like I fell for it. I fell for the, the lie. And so I didn't want to continue that. So at that point, I knew that I could not, I could no longer relax my hair. Um, I knew that it was time for me to, to really get to know myself and to accept myself as I was. And it was a little scary because I had these beliefs in my mind of what beautiful meant. And that wasn't gonna be the case anymore. And so this was uncharted territory for me. I had to figure out how I was gonna style my hair. How was I gonna look? How were people at work gonna receive me? How was my boyfriend at the time gonna receive me? I knew that my mom didn't like it. <laughs> you know, I'm Haitian. And so my mom, and in her era, in her time, you know, thought that, you know, always was, it was always, um, it was always important to her how you presented yourself. And you had to be, you had to look presentable. And natural hair was not presentable. You know, kinky hair, um, in Creole, it's called Tech Glen. <laughs> um, is you don't walk around like that, you know, unless something's wrong. <laughs> unless either you don't have enough money, something's wrong, whatever the case may be, it just wasn't something that was desirable, and I knew that. And so I wrestled with that. And so when I finally made the decision to go natural, it was the best thing ever because it put me on a path to opening up my eyes to a lot of things about how black women are viewed in this country and what we go through as people and I think that's another part of the natural hair community that I love is that it's 
causing us to come face to face with our reality in this country and around the world. Like, what does it mean to be a black woman? What does it mean to be a black person? Um, and I think that we've found a, a, a common ground in the natural hair community. And I want to do everything that I can to push this message. Because once you accept yourself for who you are, there's nothing that can hold you back. And I feel that natural hair is a gateway to open up the conversation about so many other things. And that's why I do what I do. I started, a, <laughs> I started an advocacy campaign called Naturals for Change. And I know the power of the natural hair community. And I've seen what we can do. You know, product companies have changed their formulas because of us. You know, relaxer sales have gone down. We've changed our entire industry. There's a lot of buying power. I think we've proven that. So what if we were to take the power that we have and put it towards solving some of the issues in our community? And so when it comes to police brutality, you know, we came up with a, um, we came up with a social media campaign. The natural hair community, community is huge on social media. So how can we get the word out? How can we get people involved in things that affect them, right? And so we created this um, social media campaign around police brutality, and we showed all the men and women who were killed by police in, 20, in 2015. And people were shocked. People didn't know that a lot of women were killed by the hands of police. A lot of people didn't know a lot of the names. They knew about, you know, the major names, Mike Brown and Philando Castile and things like that. They didn't know a lot about the young boys, the young men, the young women who were killed. And so I felt a huge responsibility. Um, not a responsibility, that's not the word. I felt compelled. I felt like this is what I wanted to do. I felt like this is my duty to inform, to lend my voice, to build a platform for us to talk about these issues. Because I know that we care. I know that we care about each other. And so that's why natural hair is so important to me. It's more than just hair. Natural hair is a lifestyle. It's who we are. And we shouldn't run from who we are. We should run towards it and embrace it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Minutes Heard. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow or subscribe to Minute Minute New York on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. Do you have a minute?